Good evening, friends. I, uh, I'm already winning, I feel like, because I didn't say good morning. That was my biggest fear. Uh, good evening. I have a question. Who has been, uh, I see a lot of new faces, but some familiar faces as well. Who's been working through uh, the Advent little series we put out for families to go through and look at the names of Jesus? Raise your hand if you're doing it, okay? So I'm counting on we're going to get a right answer here. I want to see who the first person that can give me uh, either what today's was, or if you haven't done today's, what yesterday's was. First one to call it out. Alton, that was two days ago. Hey, you know what, Jacob, that's, that's good enough. That's, we, uh, we were pretty, here, Jacob, come up here for a second. This is for you. There's a prize. See, participation. Uh, this is for you. There you go. So it says Heritage Grace Church, but if you take this off and write T Mom or T Dad, that's what you got to do, okay? They might appreciate it more than you, but good job, Jacob. Yes, so uh, for those that are confused at what's happening right now, we've uh, been working through uh, 24 different names or ways that uh, Jesus is described or named in the Bible. And so Alpha and Omega was one that was just said. Uh, Prince of Peace was the one that was yesterday and today's. I won't spoil it in case you haven't done it yet. So, well, it's good to be together uh, for a little bit shorter service. We'll see uh, how long I go for, but we'll try to be brief for you. I don't know if this happens every year, but it's happened every year that I've been paying attention. Uh, but maybe it's been happening every year since its inception in 1984. But there seems to be a battle every Christmas around the song, Mary, Did You Know? Is anyone familiar with this battle? There's a little bit of a, a, a duke out conversation that seems to happen. And everyone says, what did Mary know? Oh, she would have known that. Oh, she wouldn't have known that. And it seems to be this, this thing that people love to talk about. And then uh, I'm assuming that none of you are in, you know, the Twitter feuds about Mary, Did You Know? I have no beefs with the song. It's a good song. Uh, and it's, uh, it's fun. It, it makes us think, speculate. What did Mary know or what didn't Mary know? Now, we can all agree that, though, beyond what Scripture is clear on, we can't know what Mary did or did not know. What we do know definitively is what we know. Now, it sounds you know, incredibly obvious. But what we know definitively is what we know. Unlike Mary, we have the benefit of 2,000 years of history since Jesus' birth, to, to consider what we know about the birth of Jesus and who Jesus is. We can understand the significance of Christmas, that it's not just a 2,000-year-old birthday party. It kind of is that, but it's not less than that. But rather than focusing on what Mary knew or didn't know, I want to ask you a different question this evening. I want you to ask yourself the question, do I know Jesus? Do I know Jesus? Everybody here this evening brings a different story, different life experience, uh, different knowledge. And I'm sure we have a whole range of people here. I'm confident. I know for a fact we have a whole range of people. But even the way we would come to that question, do I know Jesus I'm sure we have a whole range of people. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Maybe you were invited here by family or friends. Or maybe you came just because you know that's a good thing to do around Christmas time. I don't really 
Uh, it's not that I don't care. It doesn't really matter to me why you came. I'm glad that you're here. I really am glad that you're here with us this evening. But I want you to ask yourself the question, do I know Jesus? And I want you to answer the question. Even if the answer is no, I want you to ask yourself the question, do I know Jesus? And even more than that, I want you to answer the question, why? Do I know Jesus and why? Maybe the answer is no. And maybe it's because uh, of a level of ignorance. Ignorance can be bliss. I don't think ignorance is bliss in this conversation. But maybe you just don't know the facts. You know kind of what happened at Christmas, but you don't know what it means to you. You don't know why it's such a big deal. Maybe there's experiences that you've had in your life that affect the way you come to that question. The way you would think about, do I know Jesus? Well, all I know about my life is that I've suffered. Or maybe when I think about Jesus, I think about Christianity. I think about the church. And there's some baggage. There's some preconceived ideas. But I think it's a question that needs asking. In fact, I know it's a question that needs asking from each of us. Do I know Jesus? Maybe you're here and you profess to be a Christian. You're not off the hook. This is a question you need too. Do I know Jesus? And whether you've been a Christian for a week or for decades, you don't graduate from this question. If you're a Christian, you are by definition a Christ follower. And so to be a Christ follower, it seems uh, maybe elementary, but it seems important that you would ask, do I know Jesus? And whether you're a Christian or not, I want you to, to, I want to nuance the question a little bit here. I want you to ask, do I know Jesus or do I simply know about Jesus? Do I know Jesus or do I simply know about Jesus? And is this Christmas season a time for kind of re-upping on the facts? Okay, what went down for Christmas? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all caught up. I'm with it. Or do these facts, does this story have more impact on your life than that? Is it more than facts, more than a story? Does it have any actual bearing on your life? And so knowing Jesus is not less than knowing about Jesus. You need to know about Jesus to know Jesus. But it's also so much more. And so this evening, I want to consider Mary just for a few minutes. And consider the response that she had when she received big news. She received this big news. And the way she responds teaches us a lot about what it means to be a Christian. We can learn from her fear, we can learn from her thoughtfulness, and we can learn from her faith. Her fear, her thoughtfulness, and her faith. And so I hope we all walk out of here. If you can understand the words I'm saying, youngest to oldest here, I want you to ask yourself the question, do I know Jesus? Would you pray with me? God, would you help us as we look to your word, what we don't know, uh, teach us? What we don't have, give us, and what we are not, would you make us? We ask for your help, and would you work in our hearts to know you more, to ask hard questions, honest questions. We can only do that by your help. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as Rachel read for us earlier, Gabriel comes to Mary. Gabriel, the angel from the Lord, comes to Mary. He came to her and said, so in Luke chapter 1, verses 28, he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
but she was greatly troubled at the saying. Understandably, Mary's initial response was fear. She's greatly troubled. That's kind of a softer way of saying she was freaking out. Uh, Maybe you think she was just greatly perplexed, but I think she was probably freaking out. uh, An angel shows up. I wonder how you would think of that. If an angel showed up in front of you, how would you respond? And so she's greatly troubled. She's greatly troubled. But her response to this great trouble is fascinating. I wonder how you respond to great trouble. Maybe you're a fighter, right? When there's great trouble, boom, suits are up. Maybe when there's great trouble, you're a, a flyer, fight or flight, and you get out of there as soon as possible. Maybe you just freeze. Mary doesn't do any of those things. She's afraid. She's greatly troubled, but her response is fascinating. It says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She tried to discern what this greeting would be. The Greek word here for discern is, is to make an audit, to uh, account for things. It's an accounting term. She's doing the math. She's weighing things out. She's greatly troubled, but she's clear in thinking. She's making an audit. She's discerning what is going on here. And that's what she does. And I want us to think about this this evening. That this idea of faith is more than intellectual assent. It's more than making an assessment. It's more than accounting for the facts, but again, it's not less than that. And so, friend, you might be here and not be a Christian, or you may be a Christian, and you may have doubts about the bold claims of the Bible, and they are bold. You may have doubts about these things, and it's good to think about these things. It's good to wrestle with them. I don't think the Bible makes an argument for you to leave your brain at the door. And I appreciate the perspective and candidness of people like philosopher Thomas Nagel, he's an atheist. He's a very honest atheist. He's honest and candid about the tension that he experiences. He says, I am talking about the fear of religion itself. I'm speaking from experience, being strongly subject to this fear myself. I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God, and naturally I hope that my belief is right. I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. My guess is that this cosmic authority problem is not rare, end quote. Cosmic authority problem. Now, Mary models for us well how to respond with big claims, big news. She's greatly troubled, but she tries to discern what's going on. And so when I ask you the question, what do you think about Jesus? I want you to do the same thing. Jesus made big claims. The Bible makes big claims. I am going to make big claims. And I don't want you to fight. I don't want you to respond with flight. I want you to respond by thinking. The story of Jesus, the story of the Bible, there's really nothing to hide. It's all there for us to dig and search for. And so I want you to dig and search for these things. I want you to really think about it. Because this cosmic authority problem is something that we all have in common. It's something that needs to be wrestled with. We all have this problem, this cosmic authority problem. 
And another way to describe it is sin. We all sin. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And our sinful hearts that don't want a God, Thomas Nagel explains it that way very bluntly. We don't want a God in our natural way. We are doubtful of who he is. And even if we believe there's a God, we're doubtful of what he says. We want to be Lord of our own life. And so we either ignore or reject God in the world that he created. This is how humanity fell into sin, through lies and doubt. You think of the serpent talking to Eve. Did God really say? Now, doubt in, it, in and of itself is not the enemy. I want to encourage you with that. Doubt can and is a good thing. It can be and is a good thing. I am glad that the engineers who design bridges have doubt. Right? They, they're not just like, nah, I think it'll work. Like, ah, I'll just hope for the best. No, they ask questions. They do the math. They run every possible scenario. They check and recheck. Measure twice, cut once, right? Okay, I'm doing some head nods. People get this. So it's okay to have doubts on some of these things. And I want to encourage you that Christianity is not a faith that calls for blind faith. It's a call for an honest look and full surrender. An honest look and full surrender. Now, doubt can be a bad thing. Doubt is one of those words that kind of captures a lot. A doubt can be evidence of an open or a closed mind. And so doubt that says there's nothing to know here, uh, that's not good doubt. But doubt that says I want to look for real, honest answers, I want to get this, I want to believe this, I want to put my faith in this, that's good doubt. And I think that's an idea of, of this idea of discerning, of this accounting, of this making an audit. And so if we look at the facts, if we look at the facts of our life, the facts of the world, we know that the world is broken. And we know that we're a part of that world. And so we're part of this broken world. We already talked about it. We sin. We have sinned. And because of our sin, our turning our own way, our making ourselves Lord of our own life, We've rejected and ignored God in the world he created. We've now separated ourselves from him because he is the opposite of that. He is perfectly holy and righteous. But see, the thing is, this is why Christmas is a huge deal. Christmas might be a big deal for you for family time, might be a big deal for you for gifts, but this is the reason why Christmas is massive. Because we are sinners. We separated ourselves from God and we created a situation where we couldn't climb out of the pit that we fell into. There's no amount of good works that we can do that can make us righteous enough to be right with God. But amazingly, God came to us. God with us. He sent his only son, Jesus, into the world to live as a man, to come as a baby to live a perfectly righteous life, to never sin, to do what you and I could never, ever do. And so Jesus came down. He came to us. He condescended. He, he dropped down to our level, into our reality, to live a human life, to live a perfect human life, and yet bear the weight of our sin. He would pay 
the penalty for sin, which is death. The only perfectly righteous person, honestly, the only person who never deserves death at all, took the punishment, the penalty of death for you and for me. He bore the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders. And he did that so that we could be made right with God. And he rose from the dead on the third day. We can talk about Easter around Christmas time. It's okay. It's part of the whole arc here, right? He rose from the dead on the third day. He defeated death itself. He demonstrated that God's wrath against sin had been satisfied. That's the good news of the gospel, that because of Jesus, we could now be seen as right with God. That Jesus became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that when God looks at us, he would see Christ's righteousness. And in that moment when when Jesus died, he looked at him and he saw all of our sin. And the call of the gospel is for us to respond, to turn from our sin and trust in Christ and his righteousness. That's the gospel. You've heard the word gospel. Gospel means good news. And that is good news for us this evening. That's the good news of Christmas. And so I want you to wrestle with this good news. I don't want you to think, well, that sounds all right. It sounds like a good insurance policy. You know, it's better to believe that than not believe in anything. But that's not the way it works. It doesn't fix all of your problems. You know, life's not going to just be instantly peachy if you become a Christian. But it does solve the biggest problem that you have. The biggest problem is your sin. And you can't fix it yourself. And so if you're here, I would encourage you to consider making an audit on your life. Try to discern what's going on in your heart, what's going on in the world, and make an audit of the facts. Open up the Bible, see what it says. Talk to the person who invited you. Come talk to me. Come talk to, talk to someone. Turn to someone and say, I want to talk about what's going on here. And if they give you a crazy look, just move on to the next person. It'll only be awkward for a second. But don't leave this place without making that audit, without asking that question to yourself. What, who, what do I think of this Jesus? Do I know him? And Christian, don't tune out. You don't graduate from the gospel. I want you to wrestle with this. The shocking beauty of the gospel. I want you to know Jesus. I don't want you to just know about Jesus. Maybe you grew up knowing these truths. Maybe you are growing up knowing these truths. But Tim Keller says this, Christianity may have never been unfamiliar to you, but if you have never stood and looked at the gospel and found it ridiculous, impossible, inconceivable, I don't think you've really understood it. This is hard for us. I'm with you. We live in a know-everything society. Everything's just a click away. But we need to stand back and look at this good news, look at this gospel that's too good to be true, and accept that it is true. Mary models this reasoning well for us, even and especially because what the angel says is crazy. It's unbelievable. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It's a big, bold claim. She's discerning. She's taking it all in. She continues to wrestle. Verse 34, she says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, I imagine there's a lot more going through Mary's mind than simply how is this actually possible. She's going to be pregnant before being married. She's going to say, what, what are people going to say? Maybe she had a picture of what her future with Joseph looked like. I don't know what the first century equivalent of a white picket fence was, but maybe she had that, uh, you know, Galilean dream that she want. okay, I want this thing, and now it's all fading away. Maybe she's thinking about Joseph himself. She's saying, how is he going to understand this? Is he even going to stick around? These are real things I imagine were going through her head. But the angel quiets her fears. It says, for nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary is greatly troubled. Mary is rightly trying to discern what is going on here. And yet she gradually, humbly, and willingly submits her will to this news. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I think this is such a good picture of real, honest, intellectual, and even messy faith. Sounds like a paradox, but that's, that's really what it is. Tim Keller again says, Mary is not saying, I think this could add value to my life. Or, this is what I need to reach my goals in life. There is nothing purely calculated about it. She is not weighing out the costs and benefits and deciding to do something. She has been caught up wholly. Her thinking is convinced, her feelings captivated, and her will gladly surrendered, end quote. She thinks through these things. It's still bold claims. It's not like everything just fell into place. Like, well, I just know how things are going to go. But she trusts in the promises of God. She trusts that nothing will be impossible for God. And so she effectively says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. This is a shadow of what we see 33 years later when this baby, God in the flesh, Jesus, would agonize in the garden of Gethsemane before his betrayal. And so his agony in part was because of the physical torture that he was about to experience, being put to death on a Roman cross. But more than that, he was about to bear the weight of the world's sin. That is unbelievable to think of any of us having to do that. But it's even more inconceivable that Jesus would do that because he is perfect. And yet he was about to bear the weight of the world's sin. The only truly innocent person who didn't deserve death was about to die. I cannot wrap my head around this. This is the, the incarnation. What we talk about at Christmas, that, that Jesus came to earth. And if we just skate over that fact, we're like, yeah, cool, yeah, sure, he came to earth. That is, I can't fathom how big that news is. I can't understand that divide. 
I read an article this week by a guy named Chap Bettis, and he gives some words to this, I think, shocking reality, this shocking reality of what it would mean for Jesus to come to earth. He tells a story of uh, a man named Dinesh Parmar. He's part of the Bangi caste. I I even looked up uh, Hindi-English pronunciation for this, but I'm sure it still got butchered. But he's part of the the caste system in India where there's five different categories of people. And the Bangi caste is the lowest rung of that ladder. They are referred to as the untouchable people. Imagine walking around and having society call you untouchable. Dinesh's job was to, he made his living cleaning sewers, gutters, and dead animals off the road. And so what did a day in the life look like for this man? Well, he would walk up to wherever he was told to work. He would remove the manhole cover. Cockroaches would come out of the manhole cover. The smell would start to fill the street. And without more than a moment's hesitation, Dinesh would just drop into the hole. He had no mask, no gloves. He would lift bucket after bucket over his head of sludge and filth and excrement. And he would do that manhole cover to manhole cover, day after day after day. Now, something like this should trouble us. But more than troubling us, could you imagine loving this man enough to leave Canada for him? Would you give up your citizenship? Would you give up your rights and privileges and comforts to go and join the untouchable people? In India? Would you enter his world and and choose to earn money this way, thinking that maybe this act of humility could save a few of these untouchable people from this allotment in life? And also, for the purpose of our illustration, imagine that when you got there, most wouldn't appreciate the humble sacrifice that you're making and they would actually reject you and try to kill you. Would you go? But Jesus did. He dropped into our broken world. That's what we remember at Christmas. That he dropped into our broken world. And when he was agonizing in that garden, he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. That he was about to drop into that sewer of filth and stench and sin so that he could save you. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. It's not talking about money here. But Jesus dropped into that filth, that sin for you. He took it on his shoulders for you. And so this is the shocking and amazing hope of Christmas. And this isn't maybe what you were thinking about walking in here and maybe not what you want to be thinking about. But this is the shocking and amazing hope of Christmas. And so to wrestle with this must be more than simply knowing about Jesus. You can't just know the facts of this kind of thing. 
Our hope is to know him and to put our trust in him. And so again, if you're here this evening and you don't know this hope, this Christmas Eve could be that day for you where you put your trust in Jesus who entered into your world to save you, to take on your sin. Everything that you know is wrong with you, everything bad you've ever done, everything bad you will ever do can be put right on his shoulders. You don't have to carry that burden anymore. Trust in Christ this evening. And if you do know this hope, I want you to be encouraged. Rest in this truth that you do know Jesus and he knows you. Your brokenness does not make him love you any less. His heart is so much for you that he can look at you as the untouchable person that you are and come directly for you. Your brokenness is what made the sacrifice necessary and he gladly did it for you. And so I want to encourage you this Christmas that no matter where you are, no matter what you're thinking, what you're feeling, that you would respond this Christmas by keeping one eye on the manger and another eye fixed right on the cross. And let's respond too like Mary, who responds in her song of praise with worship. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Would you pray with me? God, we come humbly before you knowing that because of our sin, we are untouchable. But Lord, we thank you for the fact that you came to us when we could never reach up to you. God, we thank you for the amazing grace that we remember and celebrate this time around Christmas. Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know you, would you work in their heart to know you and trust you and to respond like Mary that there is big news. It's okay to be greatly troubled. But would we all come away thoughtful and with faith? Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son, Emmanuel, God with us. And it's in his name, the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen.